You have to make a lot of changes to be able to maintain our pillars, our culture and quality. And the quality for us is really the relationship we have with our clients, the level of work that we're doing, our reputation. So there's the inward part and the outward part. And so we've had to really keep a very strong eye on what's going on internally that will then affect what's happening externally. And we've seen a lot of companies, so have you, come and go in this space, grow, add a ton of people, and then all of a sudden their reputation suffers and they're even potentially out of business. So we wanted to make sure that yes, we're growing, not because our desire was ever to add a certain number of staff or be of a certain size. We've grown because our services have expanded. This is Associations Thrive, the podcast celebrating successful associations and their leaders. I'm your host, Joanna Pineda, CEO and Chief Troublemaker at Matrix Group International. Listen in as top association executives tell all, revealing the creative and innovative ways they're increasing membership, generating revenue, nurturing engagement, and reimagining their organizations. By the way, if you've launched a new initiative, created new member services, or updated your governance structure and are seeing great results, I want to hear your story and so do my listeners. I'd love to have you as a guest. Go to podcast.matrixgroup.net and apply to be on Associations Thrive. Now let's dive into this week's show. Today, I'm speaking with Loretta DeLuca, founder and CEO of Delcor Technology Solutions, commonly known as Delcor. Loretta, welcome to the show. Hi, Joanna. It's so good to be here. Hey, Loretta, tell us about Delcor. Well, 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 you are opening up the Pandora's box. We are a technology consulting firm that only works in the 501c space, primarily professional associations, trade associations, and lots of other types of organizations, though, actually like foundations, unions, et cetera. And our services are kind of along the spectrum, all the way from very technical. We are a network support company, otherwise known as managed services provider, all the way to very consultative or strategic with interim CIO services, system selections, project management, assessments, et cetera. We're vendor agnostic. Other than that, we're pretty much a resource for technology services. Loretta, let's start at the beginning. You founded Delcor. So how did that come to be? I don't even know that I know this story. I've only had two jobs in my life, and one of them was a part-time job, one job while I was in high school and college working for an insurance broker. My only other job is this full-time job with Delcor, meaning that I started the company right out of college. Wow. You know, I didn't know what I was doing. I was, it was a long time ago. Let's just say that. I stopped counting at 30 years. So let's just leave it at that. You were 12. I was, exactly. <laughs> so I started doing custom database development and then became, I think I was the first gold Novell reseller, if maybe just the first female gold Novell reseller in the DC area and started doing network implementations. And then we started doing work. I did database design work for Georgetown University, a variety of their departments, including the athletic department, tracking their athletes. 
Then we installed the largest network on campus for the Department of Surgery. And during the late 80s, 120 workstations, that was pretty big. Oh, yeah. So we put in a Novell network. And then through our affiliation with Georgetown, we started getting calls from a couple of associations, education-based associations that were affiliated with the university. And we never looked back after that. We just started doing work with associations going forward. So you're just out of college. Yeah. Did you say, wow, I want to start a company? Did you do it by yourself? Did you do it with a partner? And you're talking about we, but I don't know who we is. Well, good question. So no, while I was interviewing after college, this was the dawn of PCs. Right, right. And I wrote this little app to help insurance brokers fill in and create proposals really easily. And some agents saw it and wanted to, how can we get this? This would be really helpful. So the guy I was working for got this great idea to start a company to sell these applications to this system. So I'm thinking to myself, oh my God, you know, my my friends are like touring Europe or going camping <laughs> or doing whatever they're doing right out of college. And here I am sitting in this boardroom with an attorney. And I'm seriously remember that day thinking to myself, what am I doing? Well, Loretta, did you have a background in computer science and coding? I was a business major, but I took enough programming classes to figure it out. Ah. And then I learned the uh, product was MicroRIMS RBase, which was the newest competitor to the program that some people who are old enough would know is DBase. Right. So I figured there's nobody in the area that is doing anything with RBase, so I'm going to be the person. So that's how that started. Wow. So then you started Delcor at that point? It was called something else at the time. Okay. And it started as PC Innovators and evolved into Business Information Technologies, BIT. You remember that, Joanne? I remember BIT. BIT was when we <laughs> first met. It was BIT. Right. And then Dave Coryell, one of my partners now, he joined the company as a network engineer about five or so years after I started the company. And then he became one of the partners later to be joined by Brian Sheehan, who joined also as a network engineer some years later. So basically, the three of us have grown up with Delcor. Loretta, Delcor is really known as run by the three of you, the triumvirate, I call you. What's it like to run the company where there's the three of you really as partners doing very different things in the company? How does that work? Well, it's worked out really well for us because we each had our area of the company that we were in charge of or something that we were really had an affinity towards. So over the years, that's basically how it worked out. We started then having two major areas of the business over time. One of them was the very technical, the network installation support side of things. And then the consultative AMS selection. I did the first AMS selection in 1991. Wow. And we've been doing them ever since. That was my area of the business, those types of services. Well, we've evolved a lot over the years. Now our company has just set up practice areas. We have a variety of services we offer. We're not really managed the same way that we were that many years ago, but we've also grown a lot over time. So obviously you have to handle things differently than you did when you were of a certain size. All right. Well, I've got a bunch of questions about that. But before I ask those questions, why associations? Well, like I said, it was kind of easy to make the transition because once we started to do work with them and the first couple of associations were education-based, as I mentioned earlier, it just became very obvious at the time that it was a different group of people, a different community. Hmm. 
I guess you could say we got sucked into it and it just became our passion to work with organizations that were trying to fulfill their missions. And we were trying to help those organizations fulfill their missions. So that's how we've looked at it. And people have said to me, well, you've done such a great job in the association community, et cetera. Why don't you just do this for other types of businesses? And I've always thought, I don't want to do it for any other type of business. As you know, Joanna, you've been around a long time also, that it takes a long time to establish yourself and to earn a reputation. Yes. And it's a great deal of effort to do that because you're always trying to stay on top of things, do the best job that you possibly can, et cetera. And you know the people you're doing it for. Knowing that space is essential. And I just, there's no desire to do that. I can't imagine doing this for the banks. Right, right. There's nothing wrong with banks, but it's a whole other world (laughs) that I just have no desire to do it for them. Loretta, you've talked about how the tech and how you run the company has changed a lot from the 90s to the 2000s to here we are, 2023. How do you usher in these changes? Like I know, for example, a few years ago, you guys said, okay, we're going to start an education consultation practice, like an LMS practice. And then you, I guess, you know, many years ago, you started adding fractional CIO. How do you as an organization, decide to bring in new services? Because you've been very, very good at really adapting to market conditions. We were at around 40 people for many years, right? I'm talking probably 15, 20 years. We were hovering at around 40-ish or so. And in the last six years, we've gone from that number of people to opening in Chicago formally, because we've done work in Chicago for over 20 years. And our person in Chicago, Jim, who's running that group, he was our 50th employee. So then once you hit 50, of course, you kind of bounce into a whole different category. Yes. So now we're at around 95. Oh my God. I didn't even know that. Congratulations. Yes. Thank you. I say it that way because it's like, yeah, it's great in so many ways. And in other ways, (laughs) you know, sort of unexpected things. But yeah, the point being that You have to make a lot of changes to be able to maintain our pillars, our culture and quality. And the quality for us is really the relationship we have with our clients, the level of work that we're doing, our reputation. So there's the inward part and the outward part. And so we've had to really keep a very strong eye on what's going on internally that will then affect what's happening externally. And we've seen a lot of companies, so have you come and go in this space, yeah. grow, add a ton of people, and then all of a sudden their reputation suffers and they're even potentially out of business. So we wanted to make sure that, yes, we're growing, not because our desire was ever to add a certain number of staff or be of a certain size. We've grown because our services have expanded, which is the second part of your question. Right. So keeping an eye on this organic growth is not only what services are we adding, but how can we maintain our reputation? How can we maintain that high level of work product that we offer, et cetera? So that's really what what our focus has been for the last few years. The way that we determine how we're going to add services is simply keeping an eye on and an ear out for what's happening out there from a technology perspective. What should associations be thinking about, even when they don't know that they're thinking about it? Mm. They should be thinking about it. You know, years ago, you mentioned our learning management 
we kind of started e-learning services. Yes. But that kind of worked. It kind of didn't. We had a dedicated person. And we're talking probably almost 20 years ago at this point. And it was way ahead of the time in a certain sense. And associations never really took to e-learning the way that the wider market did. I mean, some of them knew it was necessary for them to continue to survive. And people who offer CAE credits and required learning and others just never really took it on. But we try to be ahead of the curve. Right now, what's the big word out there? We'll hit on this again later, but the whole AI thing. Yes. Our decision is as consultants who don't offer products, what's our take on this? Hmm. What should our clients be concerned about? How should they be looking at this? And that's the perspective that we try to have. So Loretta, who's involved with this environmental scanning? And then how do you decide to spin up a new practice? What's the process here? Well, it's really interesting that you're asking me this because we're literally in the middle of deciding how we're, what we're doing with our AI Hmm. related work. Right. So is it going to be considered a separate practice area or is it going to be infiltrated into all the other practice areas that we have? Ah, interesting question. Yeah. So that's what we're grappling with right now. And our executive team gets together and we kind of raise this at a higher level. And then we have people with boots on the ground and their eye out. Like you take somebody like Gretchen, who you know. Yep. She's a senior consultant who's been with us for a long time. And part of her new role, though, in addition to being consultants, as she's the director of client strategy. And so she keeps an ear out for what is happening. What are our clients looking for? What should we be bringing to the client? So she becomes part of this conversation, as does Tobin, who you also know, obviously. Who I love, both of them, yes. He's been with us over 20 years. And part of his expanded role is in research and education as a director of that area. So he, too, has the job of looking out there, what's coming in, and can we have deliverables around this or services specifically geared towards this to determine whether we need to set up a new practice area? A practice area wraps around a service area, service basically, and we have practice area leads, practice area leads and assisting leads who are kind of in charge of continuing to evolve that practice area. So that's how we've kind of restructured the company over the last few years in terms of our services. Man, I love this. So it sounds like there are people at the company that you have specifically tasked with having their ears to the ground and then reporting to the rest of the company about what might be trends that you should pay attention to. Right. It also sounds like you act pretty quickly to respond to the market, but then if there's not a good response, you'll spin it down fast as well. Yes. Or it becomes part of another practice area. Ah. To give you an example of that, during COVID, we actually had a virtual events type of yes, that's right. service that we, do you remember that? Yes, I remember. Because, well, obviously this is an obvious example, but people were in need of that during COVID. They're freaking out because they can't have their in-person meetings. So what do we do? So we offered our expertise and how to convert to whatever it would take for them to do this online. And we did some of that work during COVID, but then that's not really a necessary thing right now any longer, even though I know people do hybrid meetings still, et cetera. So it's not enough of a service that we provide now for it to be its own practice area any longer. But we would include those kinds of services if necessary in our assessments 
for example, practice area. Wow. Loretta, you have many longtime employees, people like Gretchen and Tobin, who my company interacts with all the time. How do you keep it fresh? How do you keep this almost startup mentality, it sounds like, so that the staff are really bringing new ideas to the company? This is really pretty outstanding. So the first part is how do you keep them there that long? And for me, I consider myself so incredibly fortunate, as I know you do, because you have some great people on your staff who have been there for a long time. Yeah. So I really do consider myself very, very fortunate. We really do try to pay a lot of attention to that pillar I told you about of culture. Right. So that's really been a first and foremost kind of a thing for us over time. And trying to be empathetic to the needs of the people who work there and realizing that they're really the reason that we're here. Mm. That's really important in having that philosophy in my mind. And I think that giving them opportunities above and beyond what their day-to-day job is. And that's why we expanded Tobin's as an example and Gretchen's as another example, their role in the company. We try to look to people's strengths. And, you know, I don't even need to say for you, Joanna, because you know these two people, but we looked at Gretchen as an example and said, well, what's one of her great strengths? What does she really do for us over and above being a great consultant? Well, she knows what's going on out there. She's got her ear. She makes it a point to know what's going on. Well, let's capitalize on that in some way. And she really enjoys it. So we gave her the specific job of being that person who's feeding that information to us. That's how we try to do it. Like, what are people's strengths and giving them opportunities to advance? We're, you know, we're not a huge company. There's only so much that we can do, but we do try to do that. In fact, we're doing a pretty good job of hiring from within. We just took one of the people from our IT service desk and are making him the head of it now. Hmm. We did interview from outside and had some good candidates, but we decided that it made more sense for us to do it internally. And it gets people excited when they see that happening. And growth is giving you opportunities to really give people an upward path. Right. Hey, let's turn to associations. If you were running an association today, what are some things you think they need to be paying attention to on the tech side? I do think that they need to pay a good deal of attention, not just because it's the topic du jour, but they definitely need to be paying attention to how is AI going to impact not only my association, from an external perspective, but also the people who are working here. I think everybody needs to think about that. Yeah. I also think that associations, unfortunately, have just not gotten their grip on data. Mm. I really think that people need to pay attention to that. How much do you hear about the whole data analytics stuff these days. You don't really hear about that a lot. Mm. You know, you used to. So two years ago, that was like the big topic of the day. Yeah, yeah. Data analytics, business analytics, really making use of the data that we have. I'm not really sure associations are there yet and they have a wealth of information at their hands. I think that they need to do a better job with that. And then I think one of the things that organizations do, and this sounds very self-serving, but try to understand where I'm coming from with this, small organizations that hire an IT staff typically doesn't end up making sense because you don't have enough stuff and money usually 
to keep those people on the cutting edge or really educated enough or busy enough for it to make sense to do that. Hmm. So you end up, you know, having some people who are out there for a long time and through no fault of their own, haven't had the opportunity to really learn more and really understand, you know, think about the wide scope of technology that there is out there and how can one person or two people really understand everything that's going on out there to be able to benefit the organization. So really think about when it makes more sense to have internal people versus external resources for that. You know, I agree with you on that front, because I think that organizations that hire one IT person and then expect them to do everything from help desk to manage the database, to make sure that the organization is addressing security controls and think strategically about AI, it's too much for one person. It is. You know, there's a lot of talk about millennials and Gen Z and associations, and are they willing to join associations? What do you think is the state of associations these days? Wow, Joanna. (laughs) I think about this a lot. That's a very big question. (laughs) I know. Give me a slice. I think that associations and other 501Cs need to act more like businesses. Mm. I think that they need to provide the opportunities, but also look at where they need to go in the future from many different aspects and not think of themselves as a nonprofit that's not supposed to be making money, you know, that kind of an attitude. There's an opportunity to bring on a lot of young people these days who do have the whole mission and vision perspective and think that that's an important part of what they want to contribute to in society. But I think to keep them interested once they're there, they have to be afforded the opportunity to thrive. And it needs to be more of a, you know, we're going to be looking at this, like we're going to make be making investments if they, I understand there's a limitation of money in a lot of organizations, but where are we investing in our people? I think that that's a really important thing. There's so many more things to say about this. I don't think we have enough time though. Well, let's get you back on the podcast. I think is really kind of interesting is that in the end, a well-run organization, regardless of whether it's for-profit or non-profit, they share a lot of same qualities. And I think that what you've been able to do at Delcor with your culture, with your growth, with your ability to see what's happening on the ground and then react to it, I think those are all traits that associations, the good ones, will embrace. That's true. Hey, so what are you looking forward to in 2024? What can we look forward to from Delcor? Well, we've got some great people that we've added to the team, very high quality. We're going to continue to, to offer services that are keeping pace or a little slightly forward of pace regarding technology in the association world. We are starting up our client advisory board meetings again next month, and we get a lot out of that from a strategic perspective and insight from the association world. We're here and we're going to be here for a while, and we hope to continue to be of service to the people that we've gotten to know so well. And don't you find this to be true, Joanna, that like a lot of my friends, my good friends are people who I've met in the association world, your association executives. Absolutely. And the lines are so blurred for me. I think for you and I, relationship is so important. Yeah, totally. It's weird for me to think of not being in this space anymore. So I plan to be here. 
2024. How about you, Joanna? Oh, I absolutely plan to be here in 2024. We've got some interesting things that we're working on as well. Loretta, I want to thank you so much for being on the podcast today, for sharing your journey, some of this information I didn't know, and I hope you'll come back and, you know, tell us about all the new and amazing things that you're doing at Delcor. Joanna, I want to thank you so much for having me and congratulations again for having such a successful podcast. Thanks for listening to Associations Thrive. We're so glad to have you here. You know, my personal mission and the mission of my company, Matrix Group International, is to help associations and nonprofits increase membership, generate revenue, and thrive in the digital space. I want to hear stories of how your organization is thriving in today's challenging landscape. Please apply to be on my show by going to podcast.matrixgroup.net. By the way, do you need help with a digital initiative? Maybe it's a website redesign, a new membership database, or a hybrid meeting that you're planning. I'd love to connect with you. Please visit the Matrix Group website at matrixgroup.net. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode of Associations Thrive. Don't forget to subscribe to the show, leave a five-star rating, post a comment, and share it with your colleagues and friends. Bye!